I don't think normal college football in 2021 is going to look or feel at all like what we remember college football being like in 2019, right? Because I feel like the dynamics of the one-time transfer rule, the portal and name, image, and likeness have shifted college football enough where now again, is, is it going to look the same when you watch Notre Dame and USC in 2021? Sure. You know what I mean? Like, you know, that Johnny Saturday who, you know, puts 50 bucks on, uh, on Florida probably isn't going to notice the difference, but I do feel like the backdrop of the sport is under a seismic shift. One, one of maybe the biggest shifts in the, in the 20 or so years I've covered college athletics. Welcome back to the Up Close In Personnel Podcast. Happy New Year's to everyone listening. I am your host, Alex Brown, and I think we are glad to see the completion of the year that was 2020. From the challenges globally brought about by the pandemic and the wild year that was endured by recruits, families, and coaches alike, we are all excited for the newness of 2021 and all the possibilities. Before introducing my guest, Make sure you've subscribed to the show, Up Close In Personnel with Alex Brown. Rate us, share it, and just know this is how we grow the show. And I am floored by the responses of people throughout 2020. And I plan to continue to bring these conversations to you each and every week of 2021. Now, our guest of the week is none other than Yahoo Sports college football reporter Pete Thamel. Pete, a Boston native and Syracuse grad, really takes us behind the scenes of the 2020 college football season, where the sport stands now, what the future could look like moving forward in recruiting and challenges facing the sport. We dive deep into his process as a sports reporter, how he's developed and honed his craft as a writer, and we even talk about the parallels between evaluating as a recruiter and interviewing as a sports writer. For anyone interested in a career in sports media, you should do yourselves a favor and take notes from this episode. Pete's one of the absolute best in the business. If you're here for the football recruiting and scouting side of things, don't worry, we've got you covered. We talk through everything from the hard cap issues, complications of recruits not being able to visit campuses and what that means for recruiting moving forward, and really just kind of the lay of the land as far as college football recruiting. So thank you again for all of your support as a listener of this show. And we will now shift to my conversation with Pete Thamel. Just hit a button, Morty. Give me a beat. Oh, man. Okay. All right. Um. Pete, welcome to the show. Alex, great to be here. Uh, long-time listener, first-time caller. Happy to uh, be with the distinguished guest list that you've had these, uh, these, these past couple months. Yeah, uh, it's it's nice to, to pull up a guy that you know do some homework on. And apparently, your your net worth is one million. I don't know if you knew that, but um, throughout I have a net the worth. you have a net worth. Uh, but wow. the the article also had uh, he, and then in the same sentence, her. So I don't know if they know if you're a guy or a girl. But either way, <laughs> you're worth a million bucks, and I appreciate you for jumping on the show. Um, it's a weird year, you know, obviously we're, we're heading into 2021 by the time we post this and we're recording December 30th. It's been different for every single person. You wrote an article that we'll get into later about just the challenges that colleges faced with this. But just in terms of, of you, Pat, Dan, 
you know, it's kind of seemed like business as usual as far as like the content y'all put out and how much y'all cover the game. And the, the world expects you to keep doing your job and uh, you got to put stuff out there for, for fans to eat up and, and get mad at you about. So how did 2020 change your world and, and your job? Yeah, Alex, it's been really interesting because uh, for as personally as just awful as COVID has been for all of us, right? We've been trapped. We, you know, it's impacted our lives in so many ways personally from a purely professional standpoint. Um, and you've heard a lot of journalists say this. It's the story of a lifetime, right? Like you, 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 there will only God hopefully and willing be one pandemic. And so um, there has been enormous professional challenge and endless professional opportunity to tell really compelling stories of this moment. And obviously um, at, at Yahoo, and you mentioned Pat Forty and Dan Watson, we do the Yahoo Sports College podcast together. You know, it's been it's been an interesting challenge to try to capture this moment, you know, journalistically. And we've tried to do it on the podcast, obviously, the Yahoo Sports College podcast. I, I've tried to do it a, a handful of times every uh, every week, um, you know, in 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 our digital print at uh, at Yahoo, just telling the stories of the of the sport. Will they be played? Will they not be played? Are they canceled? Are they postponed? Are they coming back? Why? How? What's the challenge been like for coaches? What's it been like for players? What's it been like for recruiting? There are just endless reverberations. Um, I have no idea how many stories I've written in 2020 compared to other years, but it feels like a lot more. And it feels like it could be doing more. I could be working 20 hours a day and it wouldn't feel like enough because there's always something new, something happening. Games being canceled, games being moved. Uh, it just, there's, it's just been a, it's been the, the journalistic challenge of a lifetime. And then it's all the other part of it's like, there's always information just constantly being funneled through social media and just stuff pouring out that I know you constantly have to consume it. You're getting over 300 texts a day. It's, you know, it's kind of nonstop in, in the world that you're in. What do you do to take care of like your mental health and like to, to not get overwhelmed by just all this data all the time. Yeah. Well, you know, from a mental health standpoint, certainly being inside, staying inside, not going anywhere is, you know, a challenge. It's a challenge a lot of Americans are are, are facing. But, um, you know, I, I'm really lucky to have the job I have. And I've done this now. I think this is my 18th season covering national colleges. So this moment in college athletics, you know, I – I know in a lot of people, right? I've been there. I've been to campuses. Like I've been to multiple campuses where you've worked over over the years, and the, all those, all that time, all those Marriott nights, you know, have have benefited because you know people are calling back, and you know people want information. This has been one of those unique times as a reporter where coaches and athletic directors are calling me as much as I'm calling them because they want to know what's happening. Hey, what are they doing here? Hey, I saw you wrote that today. What did that? You know, what what do you think is going to happen? Because it's so such an unprecedented moment that, you know, everyone's in, everyone's been in the information business. So, um, you know, look, I, I've approached COVID like I, I'm lucky to have a job and I'm going to, I'm going to work my tail off every, every day, you know, and it, typically that happens. It just happens in a, in a, in a different, uh, in, in a, in a different way. So my, my mental health is good. It's been, uh, it's been a challenge every day and it's been, you know, it, it got to the point where this fall, it was nice to write about football. You know, it wasn't COVID protocols and vaccines and just di different things. It was just nice to uh, I watched uh, I watched and drank in every second of that uh, fabled central Arkansas Austin P game. Remember that first Saturday yes. of the season? Um, I mean, I literally watched every, every snap. Um, I love ball and it's been 
it's been a great season to, you know, escape on Saturdays and just flip on, flip on the, flip on the TVs and watch ball. It's, it's so weird that Central Arkansas Austin P was like the, uh, the commencement of the college football season. Like it of all felt the like teams. the Super Bowl, man. <laughs> it felt like the Super Bowl. It was, uh, <laughs> it was, it was, it was something else. Oh, well, I saw old Jeremiah Oatesfall in the, in the portal the other day and I, I shed a, uh, I shed a tear, uh, the old Austin P quarterback. He didn't, uh, did, did make it through the new regime change, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you spend a lot of time talking about the game and you spend a lot of time talking to other people about how they do things. So I kind of want to flip it on you. Like what got you into writing? And I know you went to Syracuse and you know, that's when you kind of, you know, studied it and, and prepared yourself for it. But like, at what point was it when you were in high school was it before that? Like, when did you know that was what you wanted to do? Well, uh, this may stun you because as we're looking at each other on a Zoom, I, I'm a very, I'm a physical specimen, as you can tell. You know, I look I look like an Olympic athlete at you know five eleven and a half here. Uh, but my my own my very own athletic limitations, which are great, and which as you are around really good athletes, um, you you become a lot more self aware of them as you uh, as as you get older. Um, I, I knew from a very early age that my athletic limitations were going to limit me uh, quite a bit, and obviously. Grew up with a love of reading and a, and a love of sports, um, you know, reading the reading the Boston Globe growing up in Massachusetts every day. I, you know, love the Red Sox, Patriots, uh, Celtics, just, you know, really drank in all all the sports. And, you know, I knew in high school I wanted to I wanted to become a sports writer because I wanted to be around sports. And it was a way to do it without uh, having to actually do it. Or it, was, it was a way to it was a way to stay tied to the games and the sports I liked. And so went to Syracuse. Um, I, you know, I firmly believe it's the best journalism school in the country. It certainly was the best journalism school in the country for me um, and really helped my career. And I'm really grateful for the for the time that I spent there working at the Daily Orange, the, the school paper. And, you know, journalism isn't an overly complicated trade. You have to do it and you have to do it and you have to do it. And uh, I was grateful for Syracuse to give me a forum to learn the craft, but at the same time, get the reps you need to get better at it and keep writing and writing and writing and writing. It's, it's really the only way in my, in my business to get better. And, and then as you grow as a reporter, you really learn the guts of great writing is great reporting. And so you build a base and you build a network and you start. And I started in college athletics. I started in college basketball. You start to get to know assistant coaches, head coaches, AU coaches, players, players you cover become coaches. And like, it, it just all kind of grows and is uh, kinetic from there. It makes sense that you started out in basketball too. I mean, Bayheim and all that stuff. You missed Carmelo by what, three years, two years? So I missed, I missed Carmelo. So my first job out of college was at the local paper in Syracuse. And I, so I finished there. I graduated in 99. They won the title in 03. So I covered all the recruitments of those players. It was, you know, Craig Forth, Josh Pace, Carmelo Anthony. So when Carmelo Anthony was 15, I went to his house and wrote like a big profile of, uh, of him. It's actually Troy Weaver, the assistant coach who recruited him from Baltimore to Syracuse is now the general manager of the Pistons, which wow. if nothing else makes me feel that he's really, it's a fascinating story. He's one of the first AU guys who really made it, you know, used, used AU basketball as a platform to build his own career. He is probably, and you'd appreciate this and you should study him, the best talent evaluator that I've ever been around. Like from purely watching basketball and evaluating who will be good at it or not. Like I remember sitting with him at AAU games over the years, um, picking his brain when I'd see him, he left uh, Syracuse to go be a scout with the jazz, you know, seeing him at college games, talking players with him. I don't think I've 
met in my generation a better pure talent evaluator than Troy Weaver. Was it more so like just his eye for the game or the types of questions he was asking? Like what what exactly about his evaluating skills stood out for you? It was a little bit of both. It's a good question because I think, and you know this, it's, you know, evaluation is an information game in a lot of ways. And the best evaluators and scouts are like good reporters. They can tell you everything about the background of a prospect as well as the pure evaluation and he had a knack for both. He had the instinct to be able to see a player, see a fit in a role long-term, but at the same time, he could tell you about that prospect's JV high school career and his eighth grade church league team and his mom and his dad and his cousin. And the eight, like, like you have to, like, you have to have every situation like that wired, especially in basketball, where you have so few players who are coming into your program every year. And he really had a knack to find guys who could, come in as stars, play roles, those types of things. And you really, uh, that's the thing that I like about kind of the way you approach it, because you recommended the Cubs way to me. We've talked about it on the show with Johnny Kovach, who's with Northwestern, but like that was one of the best books. Johnny's my guy. Johnny's from BC, man. Yeah. And uh, and so like, that's what I appreciate about you, because you're able to kind of like look at the evaluators across sports, Um, you know, when it comes to that information side of it, right? Like you talked about, it's an information game, like even to your your process as, as a reporter. Um, I think back to the time when you came and visited with us at Houston and you spent a whole week and your hours were like the same as mine. You were in the office, in meetings, in staff meetings, watching film, like practices, everything. Um, and then it culminated with the win we had against Oklahoma and you posted an article and you know, it's 11 things you need to know about Tom Herman, 2,400 words, but like, you're talking like a hundred hours worth of time. How do you, like, what's your process for taking all that info? Because obviously you can't put five days of observation, you know, into one article because nobody's going to read it. How do you kind of distill that information? Yeah. So I did during that time, that was one of the, you know, that Houston moment uh, when Tom was there was a really fun time, right? It was sort of this like rollicking swashbuckling shop and he was truly allowed to be himself, which I don't know if he's been, he's been fully allowed to be himself at, at Texas. And it was an interesting moment. There were, uh, because a lot of his staff was from Ohio state, I had known them and been around them um, in the past guys like, you know, guys like Derek Chang, I'd known major Appleway for a long time. So it was a, it was a fun kind of moment in time to come in and take a snapshot of. And so um, I had a hunch that they would be able to beat Oklahoma to open that season. And I had the relationship with Tom from his time at Ohio state. And I'd done a similar access story with Ohio state, uh, a few years back. So I had kind of pitched it to Tom and he was, he was, he was all about it. Um, Houston was always looking for attention, right? When you're one of those mid-major teams, you want, you want the attention. And I think Tom was a little ahead of the game on social media, especially at the time, how to create your own buzz, um, et cetera. So um, when I went and did that story and I remember I sat with, uh, I had a makeshift desk in the office with you and uh, you and Derek Chang and uh, Derek's obviously the head of recruiting at Texas now. And Brian Carrington, who's uh, high up in the Texas recruiting hierarchy, was kind of like the um, student assistant, basically, who who has come in. So it's been fun to see all your careers really grow and blossom from that uh, from that moment. You had Brian's letter, a email to Derek, printed out on the wall um, that you would that you would occasionally tease him about. I, I'll never forget that. So that week, I actually did. I, I ended that week 
by staying up all night and doing an article for the magazine for Sports Illustrated about that moment. I don't know if that article still lives online or not, or you'd have to have some good Google sleuthing to find it. But when you're afforded the kind of access and there was the interest in Houston and in Tom at that moment, I, I remember doing like the 10 or 11 things you need to know. And it was a way to just kind of empty out my notebook and shake out some of the interesting things that maybe didn't fit in that. But those, those oracles are always, uh, and I've done six or seven of them probably over the years. We've been lucky enough that places have given me access. I mean, Brad Stevens gave me access at Butler one year when he was there. And that was a really interesting window and, and peek behind the scenes. And it's about a little bit of, you, like you have to sit there at the end of the day, you could write an article, you know, spending five days, I could have written an article just about Houston recruiting, or I could have written an article just about Greg Ward or just about Ed Oliver. And it's a little bit of like, how do you take these different snapshots that you've been able to see of this program and capture a broad audience by giving them little moments, snippets, scenes, and that can give people that full Houston uh, football experience. And uh, I, that was what, was that 2016? That was 16. Yeah, that was, that was 16. That was 16. So I'd be curious to go back and read that now because obviously it's, you know, it's, uh, you know, almost four full seasons ago now just to, you know, just to see how it, see how it aged and just to see that, uh, you know, just to see how that, you know, how, how, how I did. did. Did I capture that moment? Um, you know, I remember like Baker Mayfield was the quarterback in that game. I don't know if I like properly framed him as a guy who would go on to be a top NFL pick, right? Like, I mean, Ed, Ed Oliver in that defensive line beat the tar out of Baker Mayfield in that game. He was running, he was running, you know, I don't say running scared. That would be wrong, but they had him, you know, they had him running sideways. Well, you had, uh, so you had Mark just, Andrews too, who is like oh, the yeah. go-to tight end for Lamar Jackson now. Yeah, no, I mean, there were, there, you know, there were some, there were some good, uh, you know, good, good players. There's Bob Stoops, right. Was still the, was yeah. still the coach at Oklahoma at the, at the time. And uh, yeah, it was, uh, that was a, that was a fun, that was a fun moment. I look back at that as, you know, I really like getting to know people in this business and that those kind of stories really allow you to see an unvarnished look of people. This isn't like these days, it's like not the coach getting on zoom, telling you what he wants to tell you. It was, you know, sitting around. I remember Craig Niver, the uh, old safeties coach who's at USC now wearing a, wearing, he was wearing a guns and roses. He was wearing an ACDC t-shirt. And I, I said, nice, nice t-shirt, Craig. And he was like, ah, my guns and roses one's dirty. You know, like there was just a, there was like an authenticity to that, uh, you know, to that staff in that moment that I, uh, that I, that I have an appreciation for and uh, kind of a fondness. You got a guy like Todd Orlando, who's a defensive coordinator, who's, you know, kind of the steel job Pittsburgh guy. He's the DC at USC now, you know, um, very good guy, not a big personality, doesn't share a ton. Um, so, you know, trying to get to know him a little bit and crack that code and allow people to kind of get to know what makes him tick and what makes him work in that, uh, in that sense. So there was, there was a, a bunch of really compelling characters in that, uh, in that moment. And, and you kind of said it just real briefly that you, you enjoy the people side of it and the, and the relationships that you build and, there is a, we were talking off air, you know, there is an art to interviewing and, you know, asking the right question, the right way to the right person at the right time and having some, some savvy about that. Um, obviously you kind of have to deal with a, a wide range of personalities from the people that want to talk and they want to hear themselves talk and the people that really are just doing it because they have to. So how have you gotten better over your time of covering sports of asking those questions and, 
and getting to to know the inner workings of these these people at the highest level of the game. Yeah, and I, I think like you know, interviewing is is a skill, um, and you you do have to learn it. And so it's one of those things where you you only get better at it by practicing it. You can read a book about interviewing people, but until you really sit down, I mean, how much better are you at interviewing people now than you were when you started your podcast eight months ago? It's night and day. Like you can go back to the first episode with me and Brian. And I can feel myself like forcing the conversation a certain way, but you can keep going. Um, yeah. So there's, there's a little bit of uh, there, there's a little bit of an art. And then, you know, when you're, you're a reporter, there's you, you you need to get people comfortable, but there's also points too where you have to ask uncomfortable questions. And it's sort of dealing with that. Like one of the golden rules of journalism school rules of interviewing is always ask the hard questions last, right? Because if you're going to piss the person off, you might as well get everything you need before you piss them off. It's, it's kind of common sense, but it's also true. Uh, you don't lead, you don't lead with that. And then you got to, you got them sideways for the, uh, for the rest of the, uh, for the rest of the interview. Uh, and then you know, you, you learn over the years and especially um, one of the cool things about when I worked at Sports Illustrated was they really give you like time to, to write these, you know, long stories, great stories like that. Uh, you know, like that Houston thing was a good example. You know what I mean? Like, hey, go go to Houston for a week and just you know, dive in and, and do that. And so what you learn that, that is compelling for people is, hey, tell me a story. Like, tell me like like you want them to bring you moments. So you want to observe moments as a reporter and capture those in an authentic way, but you also need people to tell you the defining moments of, of that, like of, Hey, when did you realize Greg Ward, you were going to be a quarterback instead of a receiver? Like, what was the moment where you like, Hey, I can do this. And I have the faith in this. Like you want, you, you want people to bring you into their head. And the best way to do that is to ask them anecdotes about those, you know, transformative and pivotal moments. So learning how to tease people, get people comfortable to get them to tell you those stories and then tell them in detail. Oh, okay. It was, it was spring practice number two. All right. Bring me spring practice number two. Is it raining? Is it hot? Is it, you know, is it at 6am? Is it at night? Is it like, take me there. And like, you got to get them to allow you to feel the story um, as, as much as, as much as anything. Just from a feel standpoint, uh, obviously this, this year has felt weird. Um, I guess that's the easiest way to, to put it. It's felt weird. You know, you, Dan, Pat, in each of the last like two, three, four episodes, when head coaches are brought up as far as like for jobs or, you know, for moving around and you've brought up a bunch of times, you know, Hey, with the way college football recruiting is going, like, I don't know if this guy's going to want to go back to it. I don't know if this guy's going to want to stay in. I think he's going to want to go to the NFL. Um, because the power has shifted from the coaching staffs and the coaches and the administrators to more of the players, like the players' voices are able to be heard. You know, they're not kind of bound and chained to a school. Like if it's not a great situation, they can leave. Can you talk about, you know, just what you've been able to take away big picture wise on the recruiting landscape through those conversations with people in the industry? Yeah, we're, you know, the, the the line I've used in, in columns and I probably use it on our, on our podcast too, Alex is, you know, everyone right now in football, in sports and in life is like ready for back to normal, right? Like let's get vaccinated. Let's get back to normal. Let's have stadiums full. Let's go back to airports and hotels, restaurants. Like we want normal. 
And I really feel like, you know, when foot meets ball late August of 2021, and God willing, we're vaccinated in, you know, um, and just sort of have started to move on from this COVID era at that point. Um, I don't think normal college football in 2021 is going to look or feel at all like what we remember college football being like in 2019, right? Because I feel like the dynamics of the one-time transfer rule, the portal and name, image, and likeness have shifted college football enough where, now again, is, is it going to look the same when you watch Notre Dame and USC in 2021? Sure. You know what I mean? Like, you know, that Johnny Saturday who, you know, puts 50 bucks on, uh, on Florida probably isn't going to notice the difference. But I do feel like the backdrop of the sport is under a seismic shift. One of maybe the biggest shifts in the, in the 20 or so years I've covered college athletics. And there is so much unknown and so much of this is happening parallel to COVID and so many coaches and administrators are so locked in on COVID as they should be. How do we, I was just worried about how do we practice safe on Tuesday that I feel like some of these name, image, and likeness shifts that are coming and some of this portal stuff and roster management, um, I feel like a lot of that is going to not surprise them because that's kind of a generic term, but I really feel like it's going to show up in their face a little bit more suddenly than if they were having meetings in January about it. Like there just hasn't been time to digest how drastic the changes are. I, I think that's probably the, uh, that's probably the best way to put it. And I don't think the NCA is ready with the hard cap. Um, and I'd be curious your thoughts on that, quite frankly, because I'm sure at a place like Rice, that's that that hard cap has to be really debilitating to, uh, to to roster building, which I know is your is your specialty. I just think everybody's like, well, let's just wait and see. And there's going to be kids left behind. There's going to be programs that end up getting gutted. Like there's just going to be a lot of reverberations from all of these changes that we are not ready for as an industry. No, it's the unintended consequences. Right. It's like. Oh yeah, we can give them all the year back. And I think when that news dropped, how much you know, is a rice scholarship right now? Like if so it's know, it's got, 70, it's 70,000 a year. Okay. Yeah. So you're talking So if you 70, were going to keep 10 extra guys, that's not an insignificant expense for the no. rice athletic department in a pandemic, right? It's Correct. not an insignificant expense for Notre Dame yeah. or Stanford or whoever, you know, like places that have you know, bigger athletic department war chests than rice. Yeah. Like, how are you guys handling it? Which the, the great part about rice and for us um, is the fact that they kind of were already prepared for a lot of it. Uh, okay. They kind of saw it coming down the pike and, you know, we knew what our restrictions would be, but mm -hmm. you know, we're, we were able to sign a full class this year. We signed a full class last year. I think the effect mm -hmm. is what happens in the next cycle. Like, this year is fine because we can technically go over the number, a certain limit. We're going to be able to have all of our seniors back if they want to come back. Um, we didn't have a huge senior class. So what happened last year, so at the end of the 2020 cycle, we, we have a meeting every single time you finish a class about the next cycle. And we're like, hey, we're probably projecting about you know 16 or 17 numbers. And as the season went along, as players get hurt or leave the program, what, what have you, transfer out, transfer in, um, we wound up having more spots than we even allotted for. So it kind of reinforced the, the importance of like, if you're going to guess, you know, if you're, if you're projecting numbers, like you better be on the conservative end. It's especially out in front. 
and be prepared mm -hmm. to like, if that number becomes available, now I, I know what my kind of wants, my luxury picks are. Um, sure. And so it, it's, it's taught us to be a lot more like efficient with like a smaller dosage of, of guys you bring in. Um, but I'll, I'll be honest, like we're just talking with people in the industry. It was, oh yeah, you know, it's not a big deal. Like, you know, they'll probably give us two or three years to sort it out. And, you know, we can go over the number for a couple of years. And I went straight to my compliance guy. I'm like, Hey, like, how soon do I have to get it back to 85? Yeah. And he's like, Oh, you got one year to figure it out. And yeah. so, uh, yeah. So the 2022 class, I think is going to feel the biggest reverberation yeah. of, of this whole deal because now, um, so for, for the 21 class, like a little less than half were able to visit our, our facility. Um, okay. and more than half of our offers were. When's the last time you had a prospect in your facility? March 10th, I okay. think. Wow. So you will go a calendar year without having a prospect in your facility, right? Like, yeah, the, the, the news all went down on my birthday, uh, about like, oh, is your birthday, the, the shutdown, the, the 12th, the 12th. Yeah. Okay. So that we Rudy Gobert day is your birthday. Yep. Yep. So every time I wish you happy birthday, uh, for the rest of, I will think of Rudy Gobert. With all these changes, you know, you do have to have a good feel for numbers and projecting things out and looking two, three years down the road. I guess, how do you see the role of a recruiter changing and, you know, what's going to allow people to be effective in this, in this environment? Yeah, I really think that the, the, the places that have, like your job has never been more important because there is going to be a lot of numerical management, but it's also like so much of recruiting is relationships built like we're talking right now, right? It's like relationships built on Zoom. And how do you really get to notice, like part of the, the what I think coaches learn the most about when a kid comes in for a recruiting weekend is they, you know, they put them with a junior or senior and they ask that person for a character evaluation. All right, when they went to the party, what did they do? How did they go? How did they interact? What were they like? Like just, you are missing such important empirical pieces. You know, it's the general human interaction. I mean, what's the first thing you want to know about a kid? Well, how's he going to fit in the locker room? Well, he's never walked in your locker room. He's never interacted with any of your players. So like, there's just a, there's just such critical pieces of information missing. And then you combine that with the, just the, there's not the same connection because you never, you haven't seen the person. How many kids are you going to sign between this and last class that you haven't met? Like you haven't actually met. Hold on, hold on. I actually have it written down because the number got so heavy. Um, and that's and that's so it, it's so huge because like every time a kid comes on a visit, I always keep a note card of like, okay, this is how he was around like head coach, around the coordinator, around admissions people. Like you're constantly like taking in that data and and feeling a kid out. Like who is he beyond just between the white lines? Because that's 90% of the time when you screw up of bringing in a kid in, like you bring in somebody who just isn't a fit, like from a cultural, uh, social standpoint. So, um, for the kid's perspective, like rice is a brochure, right? Yeah, it's yeah. a, you know, it's an online tour, I guess now brochures are kind of the thing of the past. And so like that kid may walk around rice's campus and be like, this is not for me, you know, like after then, the fact, after the fact. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, like, like, so we offered but, 68 but you, guys in the entire class, 68, okay. yeah. 31 were pre COVID 37 were post. And of the, of the 68 offers, 
43 hadn't taken visits to our campus. So uh, almost 65%. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And that's not to mention that you could screw up the football evaluation too. Like you haven't seen him throw live. You haven't seen him play live. You haven't seen him practice live. Like forget the social in interaction piece and personality piece. Like you also, they, they might not be good enough or they might be too good. You know, that, that, you know, there's, there's going to be drastic misses both ways. Right. Like yeah. that, you know, that, that just, you know, that I can't believe that Texas A&M didn't offer this kid because, you know, they didn't, you know, he only played four games his senior year because of COVID and whatever. Like, there's just going to be, there's just like the, the football, what's the best way to say this? Like, just the annual churn of prospect to school and move up is just going to be massively disrupted. And there's just going to be five years from now, we're going to be watching NFL games and they'll be like, how did that guy end up going to Southwest Texas State? How did that guy not, kid from Baton Rouge, end up at Tulane like how did you know, like there's just going to be um some just leaps of logic where like things aren't going to make sense and we're going to go oh COVID oh COVID displaced oh COVID distracted oh it was a COVID miss like it's just we're gonna it's just gonna happen because the the late bloomer isn't getting like it's just hard to capture right how do you how are you looking at late bloomers now well we purposely held some spots um yeah and, and to be quite frank, like both of our receivers that we signed were late bloomers. Like we didn't offer them until after we watched their senior seasons. Like one of them was midseason, one of them was at the end of the season. And they were guys that we were on, we, we'd built relationships yeah. with, but they would have been guys that would have gone to camp. And sure. if they went to an SEC camp, I don't know what his offers look like after that. I know that based off of what he did his senior year, I'm really happy we got him. And sure that was kind of the the battle that we had to face is the day we were leaving the office, we had one last recruiting meeting and we we're talking about quarterbacks and we're like, look, this guy's got 10 offers now and he's picked up three in the last week. Like if we don't even offer him, like we're not gonna even have a shot. Uh, one of those kids winds up going to an SEC school and the third of the guys that we offered that day, we signed. And we had seen none of those guys throw in person. We had none of them on campus at that time. And it was just a, a collective decision where we're like, look, we need to, to get one of these three guys because we see the ability to be a, you know, future of the program type of guy. And you kind of got to step out in faith because it's either like, it really turned our process on its head because we take so much pride in being sure. the fewest offers in the country, you know, yep. making sure we see people live, making sure they see us live. Like, get the interaction of them on campus. And, uh, you know, you just had to adapt because you kind of saw the writing on the wall early that it's going to be a while before it gets better. You know, in writing about recruiting throughout all this, the smartest schools on March 10th looked ahead and said, we are not going to, we, our evaluation of this prospect today, we have very little chance for it to change drastically between now and September 1st. So we are going to do all the things we would have done. Like we just forget any chance of camp, forget any chance of anything else, forget any chance of an extra data point meeting, all that stuff. Let's just go hundred miles an hour now and try to stockpile because there's going to be a lack of empir empirical information until maybe there's a high school season. Maybe there's not. Right. So I, I really think those schools from the, from the recruiting directors I've talked to ended up ahead by rushing 
because there was no extra data point. And that's how some of these classes that were assembled early, that got early high rankings and then got buzz. And then as you know, in recruiting, a lot of times you have some success and it, it prompts extra success. And then you have, yeah, it's all, it's all a snowball. So the smartest ones early reading what the environment was going to be like, got that, you know, really got things going in March and April, and then we're able to build on that. Now that said, I'm not, I don't think they're going to be better off than the people who are waiting and patient. I just think they, they saw what the recruiting environment would be like and struck quick. And I, I think that, I think if you look back now, that was probably a wise tap. Yeah. Do you think there's any chance of camps this summer based on kind of what you've heard? You know, I, I hope so. Um, I feel like every week with my friends, uh, it's like, all right, when do you think we'll be vaccinated? Like, when do you think we'll be able to like go to each other's house? Like, just like, when do you think like, um, and like, if you have a camp, does everybody have to be vaccinated before they come? You know, like, do you have to like come with like, you know, not your permission slip, but your proof of vaccination? Like, yeah, that's it. That's the first paper you put down. I, I It's yeah. gotta be that way on official visits, you know? Yeah, um, sure. And, and sure. the scary part is like, are you, are you going to ask somebody to hop on a plane right now? You know, I, I think that's the, the one thing that the NCAA got decently right is by not opening back up right away, you know, because mm-hmm. that, that's definitely something that they could have done if they wanted to. Um, but it's just, it's so hard because, you know, at the end of the day, like it's, it's worse than it's been. As much as we mm-hmm. are happy that we got through a college season, like, Thank God that we're we're close to the vaccine being out. Yeah, no, the America's a mess right now. There's really no there's really no other way to say it. The number, like I think we've become numb to some of the COVID numbers, but they are. Uh, you, you look at like the, the situation in LA that prompted the Rose Bowl to move to Dallas area, where in Tarrant County the numbers are actually worse than they are in LA. Like it's you know it, there's there's constant reminders whether it's the the, the death counts. Uh, the congressman from Louisiana who, who died this morning of COVID, like that was a pretty searing reminder of guy, you know, early forties, seemingly, seemingly healthy guy. Um, no, it's, uh, the, the pandemic is still raging. Even if we have become a little bit, I guess, numb to the news cycle of it. Like the yeah. numbers don't scare us anymore. They don't, as, they don't equate. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah maybe as much as they, uh, as, as much as they really, uh, as much as they really should. Yeah. Like, uh, I mean, Tarrant County is where I'm from. I'm from yeah. Arlington and me and my wife stayed here in Houston, um, uh, because yeah. she's got to go back to a classroom. I got to sure. go back to the, to the building around our players. Uh, so that was, you know, I mean, it's 2020 for you. The, the other thing that I really wanted to hit is just the, you put, you posted an article where it was just, you know, the average person has no idea how difficult it was to kick off a game. And, you know, we've, we've talked at, you know, just touching here and there, like, oh yeah, we tested three times a week and, you know, contact tracing. And, and these are kind of like buzzwords now that people just kind of skim over. But the one that sticks out for me is a kid we signed from New Mexico as a transfer and they were in a casino ballroom. Yeah. What was the craziest uh, situation that, that you had come across as far as teams overcoming? That's a, that's a good question. New New Mexico jumps out. I mean, they literally were at like a deserted casino resort outside Vegas for, for weeks. I think San Jose state jumps out. They played a home game in Hawaii. 
um, they couldn't practice in their county. Um, you look at Stanford, uh, San Jose had to practice at Humboldt State in the preseason. You look at Stanford going on the road to execute their final their final weeks of the season. Um, you know, I think 50 years from now, we're going to look back. The last time the Rose Bowl wasn't played in Southern California was the start of World War II. Wow. So the Rose Bowl in 42, it was actually played at Duke at Wallace Wade Stadium. So like when you think about like seminal things like the Rose Bowl being played in Dallas is like the last time it wasn't in Southern California was because of a the start of a world war and the threat of it being bombed. Like that's crazy, right? So, you know, and that was, again, we're talking uh, 70 years ago, right? 40, you know, basically. And so like you're seeing 80 years ago. So you're seeing these like these, you know, once a century type things that are uh, that are happening, occurring. And you're just like, wow, wow. Um, so, yeah, those are a couple of the ones that, that have stood out to me. And, you know, for the teams that moved everything and gutted through, I have a ton of respect for what the players went through to play this year. And I don't think it's the, the sacrifice they've put in, um, you know. A lot of even just like going to walk in a class on a Monday after a big win, like there's a lot of perks to being a college football player. Right. And, you know, free scholarships won, but like there's a status on campus and there's a, you know, like there's a, you know, you go to the restaurant and you get slid a couple of free appetite. Like there's just like a, like there's a little aura on, on most campuses if you're a college football player and all that's gone. Like you couldn't take advantage of any of your, you know, any of your status. You couldn't, you just basically have to go home, lock yourself in a room and play video games if you want to play college football this year. And that sucks, man. Like all you're doing is like going from practice to preparing to pass the next test, like the next COVID test. And then you're going back and then you're going back. I had somebody at uh, one of the playoff schools tell me like basically every one of their players got dogs this year because they're just like, it was like something to do. Like they were bored. Um, and I thought that, uh, I thought that was something that kind of stood out a little bit. Like just, it was just like, oh, this is, this is how we're, this is how we're entertaining ourselves, handling ourselves, uh, et cetera. But I got, I just got a lot of respect for the daily sacrifice that a lot of these players went through to let the billion dollar machinery of college football happen. Yeah. I mean, it was, you really had to commit to quote unquote, the process, you know, cause we, we were ready for every single game we played and we had games canceled, like one game canceled, the like, the Saturday morning, like speech that Bloom was giving to the team. Oh, by the way, uh, I can't play. And it's on to the next one, you know, and, and these guys are like, you're saying, you know, hold up in their, their hotel room, you know, we, we couldn't, you know, like one of the perks of like going on the road and traveling and, you know, being a part of college football is the sights and, and, and the scenes, you know, like sure. last year in 2019, you know, my first road game here, we go to West Point, you know, we tour yeah, their, sure. their campus and, you know, New York it's City. It's awesome up there, isn't it? Oh, it's, it's beautiful. But like yeah. that part of it's gone, you know, yeah. like for the immediate. So, and, and especially for those players too, it's, it's just tough. So um, before you I let you go. can't even go to the hotel bar and have a drink. You know? No, like, no, no, no. Yeah. You grab a bag lunch, water bottle, go up to your room. Thank goodness for uh you know, streaming high school sports and, uh, yeah. you know, just watching high school games and whatever was on that Friday night. But, uh, as we head into 2021, I guess, what's your, what's your outlook on it? Like, what, what are you going to change about the way you do things and, um, how are you approaching this next year? 
It's a great question because it's all like, when do I get vaccinated? Like, when can I go back and be a reporter again and sit in football offices, talk to guys, go on, you know, I was going like a spring road trip and stop at different places and, you know, try to like cram in six, seven schools in a week and, you know, stop at Toledo and then go to Kent and then go to Ohio State and then go to Cincinnati. Like, I I just want to go back and do that. And I haven't gone anywhere this year in large part because like, you just don't want to be in the way. You don't want to like, as a reporter, you have to be self-aware enough to be like, when are you a problem? When are you like a pain in that, that the tail? And obviously being someone who, and I've been tested, but I'm not being tested in a normal regime. I'm not going to be like, Hey, I'm going to get tested and then go to your practice. Like it's just, you don't want to do that. And so, you know, looking at, uh, you know, looking at going ahead and looking like, I, I feel like being vaccinated, I would hope, would allow me to go back and, and just re- report and see people and be back on the sidelines. You know, my hope was for spring practices, but I, I think that might be a little naive right now. Um, so I'm really hoping by the time media days in late July and summer camps really start to get in the flow that I can go back and start seeing people in person again. You know, that's like, that's what I, what I really want to do. And I can't wait. Like what I'm looking forward to is I haven't looked at week one of next season yet. Cause this one's not over yet, but whatever that first big game is like you know, this year might've been Texas LSU was one of the first early big games um, that, you know, you're, you circle in the summer and you're going to go and you put like, I, you know, Ohio state, Oregon was going to be one of those games. I, I think it will be back in Columbus this year. Like I can't wait for, you know, the, you know, get there three hours early, watch the crowd fill in, walk through the tailgates just to feel that energy again. You know, there's so much of that energy that makes college football so great and so unique. And uh, I really look forward to uh, to having that level of energy back um, to the game day environment. I've gone to three games so far this year. I went to West Point for one where there were only cadets in the stands. I went to two games at Boston College. I live in Boston and the stands were empty. So like you miss just that's the, the, the lifeblood of college football is the, the energy and the environments. And that certainly is missing you. Look, when you watch college basketball now, how weird is it that there's just no fans? Like that's such yeah. a, such a huge part of the college basketball experience is the student section and the energy. And that's just gone. It's, it's not the same KU basketball game when you're watching it, you don't hear you know, yeah. that field house just going crazy. Yeah. Uh, no, rock the, dog the, Jayhawk, the, right? no, uh, the line that you said that kind of puts it all, all together is, in many ways, the cardboard cutouts of fans in the stands are a fitting representation of the season itself. An imposter dressed up like the real thing, but devoid of so much of the emotional interaction that fuels the spirit of the game. I'm, I'm with you. Like, just like you lose the whole pageantry of it all. So for the players listening to this, this podcast, mm-hmm. and even for, for some people in recruiting that may have some media aspirations uh, after they're done working in, in college football or, or wherever they might be, uh, like what advice do you have for that, that young person that's in college, that's in a journalism school, like, like you were at Syracuse, mm-hmm. what's your advice to that person that, you know, Hey, I want to be like Kirk Herbstreit or, you know, sure. Joel Clad or one of these former players that's, you know, covering the game that I love. Yeah, it's, it's a, it's a good question. And every couple of years, you know, you run across players who have, uh, who have aspirations. And I think the first thing you can tell them, um, you know, say it's a kid at uh, a kid at Rice. You know, like get to know media in the Houston market, right? Like at the Houston's one of the ten be- best media markets in the country. So, you know, get to know the beat writers there, get to know the internet guys there, and then you know, hopefully, you know, you get some TV reporters who come and cover your games and preview them. Like, 
you know, all every interview is a networking opportunity, right? And every time you get a microphone in front of your face, it's a it's a it's a rep in a lot of ways where you can showcase how articulate you are, how you handle yourself, how you speak, and uh, the insight and analysis you can give in your in your answers. And so, use the time when you're front facing, you know, almost like an audition. Like pe- people can see that you have a charisma and a depth of insight. Um, and I really think that's, uh, I really think that's important. I always tell young coaches this, like every time you are on, you know, camera, other coach, head coaches are going to be evaluating you. If you're a position coach, they're going to, if they're going to hire you as a coordinator, they are going to look at all of your YouTube. They're going to look at all your things. So you can't like have your hat on sideways and you can't like, you, you just, you can't like just kind of shrug your way through an interview and roll your eyes because like people are watching and it lives on YouTube forever. And so you want to like, just kind of take advantage of every, every sort of rep you get in front of cameras. And then the, the other thing too, is use your status. Like people w- would want an intern who's playing football in the, in their market. Right. So in, in use your sports information director to try to, you know, give yourself some of those, uh, some of those opportunities to be on the other side of the camera and to see how it works from, uh, from there. People are always going to be open and receptive to, to players who have that ambition but you also have to ask and 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 do the uh, and do the networking. Pete, this was awesome. Uh, what where can we find and, and follow your work? Well, yahoo.com. That's where uh, that, that's where you can find my uh, my archive if you go under college football. Um, our Yahoo Sports College podcast is uh, lives there, and uh, I encourage everybody to uh, download it and take a listen. If if you've endured this interview this long, I would suggest that. Perhaps you might want to uh, try the Yahoo Sports College podcast. We kind of taken a, a reverent look at, uh, at at the sports landscape. We try to have a lot of fun with it. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm on Twitter at uh, at Pete Thamel. I'm on Instagram at at Peter Thamel, um, just to be confusing. So I'm I'm, I'm around and out there. And uh, yeah, I look forward to hearing from anyone who uh, who, who listened to this interview. And uh, feel free to uh, drop a line. Hey, you have a good one. Alex, appreciate you, buddy.